please turn in your Bible over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we are continuing our series here, living in light of the last days, living in light of the rapture of the church. Today I've entitled this, The Portrait of a True Servant of God. Portrait of a True Servant of God. Years ago in the South, there's all kinds of interesting things, things that take place in the South. People think, well, oh, wow, you know, that church, I'm, I'm going to be in the Bible Belt. Man, those people are going to be super godly Christians who live in the Bible Belt. Let me tell you something. There's more backstabbing that goes on there than probably any other place. The level, and it isn't everywhere, I'm not saying every Christian or every church, but the level of hypocrisy is off the charts because they've been taught the Bible, but there's little application of it in many places. And so you'll go there and they'll talk it, and it sounds like they're saved, but then when you really get into the gospel with a lot of people, again, not everybody now, but with a lot of people, they don't have a clue where they're going when they die or how to be saved. Anyways, there was a pastor. He uh, took a new church there, and he was there. So he got up his first Sunday, and he preached, and there was a little old lady who, who came. And I guess you're not supposed to say old nowadays. You're supposed to say a senior citizen, right? But anyways, little old lady, I'll say it anyway, came by, and she said, she said to the pastor, she shook his hand, and she says, Pastor, she says, you are a model preacher. Well, of course, he thought, you know, this is great. Kind of kept it in. The next week came, he gave his message. He was standing out shaking hands as people left. She came up again. She says, Pastor, you are just a model preacher. Well, you know, this is starting to go to his head a little bit. And so uh, he, was, he heard it three or four times from her. And uh, he, he started thinking, why in the world does she keep saying it? that way. And, and his wife said to him, he says, she said, now, honey, he says, don't, don't get puffed up about this now. You know, you don't want to do that. He says, well, I just, man, she just keeps saying it. I'm a model preacher. I mean, you know, that's pretty encouraging. She said, well, let's look up what it means. And so she went, she opened up a dictionary and she looked up the word model. And here's the definition, a small imitation of the real thing. Okay. <laughs> well, that kind of take it right out of you, right? Put you where you really need to be anyway. No, honestly, God's word tells us how the character of the true servants of God are supposed to be. God's word is the portrait painter. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. And we find a remarkable portion of scripture today. And I want to challenge you, not only those of you who are preaching and teaching the word of God, maybe you're preach in a pulpit, maybe you have ministries around St. Cloud, maybe you uh, teach here in Sunday school, regardless, are you, regardless, uh, Awana, these are character qualities that God wants every servant of God to have, and maybe you don't have that formal responsibility, but you know what, if you've trusted Christ the Savior, these things absolutely apply to you. What made the Apostle Paul so effective? What qualities did he have that we need to be aware of and also embrace for our lives and ask God to put or make or create in us? Because if you've trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And so God wants to change us, doesn't he? The desire to be a true servant of God will affect every area of your life. Every area, okay? 
It begins on the inside, though, and it works itself out. Now, we're covering, and it's going to be very fast today, so don't, don't panic. We're covering 10 qualities, all found right here in the text. But here's the point. You can have these 10 qualities, and you can look at them, and it would be proper to read them and ask God to put them into your life. But understand, when God starts working this, it's up to us to cooperate with him so he can mold us into the people he wants us to be. See, as we go on as believers, if we've trusted Christ as Savior and we go on in the Christian life, our lives ought to be moving more towards godly character, not away from it. We should be becoming more interested, more impassioned about the things and the plan and the agenda of God, not less interested in it. So let's look at some of these qualities of a true servant of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, it says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in among you, that it was not in vain, for even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. In other words, as they preached the gospel, there was resistance from people. Okay, there were critics. Just like today, there were people who mocked them, people who wanted to beat them up, people who wanted to make fun of them. You know, we kind of boo-hoo things when we get a little bit of criticism here in the U.S. Folks, this is nothing compared to what's going on in other places, even today. And certainly nothing compared to what went on in the first century. So the first thing we see here, number one, they have those who are true servants of God, they have a God-given boldness to speak. A God-given boldness to speak. Now this doesn't mean a rudeness or obnoxiousness, as we are going to see very clearly as we go through. But a boldness, and boldness, by the way, comes from confidence in the Lord and in his word knowing it's right, knowing the message is right, knowing it is in fact exclusive. I make no apologies for that. The message of Christianity is exclusive. The way to heaven according to Christianity is exclusive. What do I mean by that? It's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, four absolutes in that verse, the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by him. That's exclusive. You might say, what about all the other religions? No, you don't get to heaven by any religion. You get there solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So they have a God-given boldness to speak. When we truly understand the dangerous dilemma of mankind, we become bold with the gospel. Please listen carefully today, especially if this is your first time with us. Or maybe you've been coming many times, but listen, please listen. The only way you will escape an eternity in hell with no rest day nor night, eternal suffering, is by putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, believing that when he died on the cross, he paid for all your sins. And when you trust in him, the payment he made is put to your account and he gives you his righteousness and he forgives you and he gives you everlasting life. You cannot go to heaven another way. That's not a popular message today, but it is the truth. And we proclaim it to you because we care about you. I proclaim it to you because if you don't trust Christ as Savior, you will never be saved. There is no other way. And to say, well, you know, that's all fine and good, but I don't believe in life after death. Friend, you're wrong, okay? 
Why do I say that? I say that because Jesus came back from the dead. And it's a proven historical locked in fact that stands up to all scrutiny. John chapter three and verse 36, John the Baptist said this, it says, he that believeth on the son, you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. He that believeth on the son hath, do you see that word hath? That means you possess it right now. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the wrath of God that is going to be poured out. The wrath of God abides, present tense, on him, okay? The wrath of God, like a dark cloud over a person who has not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And if you die, that cloud bursts and the wrath of God is poured out on you. Friend? God loves you. He doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And when you put your faith in him, he gives you as a free gift, everlasting life. Heaven is a free gift through faith alone in Christ alone. Free gift, no strings attached. You trust in Christ, he gives you everlasting life. He forgives you of everything you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong. You notice he says we preach with much contention, conflict or strife. See, here's the truth of it. Satan hates the gospel of grace. Satan hates for preachers or Christians to say salvation has been bought and paid for through Christ and there's nothing you can do of yourself by your good works to earn it or keep it or prove it, whatever. It's all by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says this, for by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. Satan does, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He does that through religion. He does that through false messages of salvation that include some sort of good works to some extent. See, man always wants to think, well, I have a part in this. I can help. I can do it. I'll reform my life. I'll turn from my sins. I'll be sorry for my sins. I'll promise to follow God. I'll do this. I'll do that. And they think they can kind of make a deal with God. There are no deals. Let me put it this way. All the deals are off. The only hope of man is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ that he died for your sins and completely paid for them and rose from the grave. And when you do, he gives you eternal life and it's a gift. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. Eternal life is in fact eternal. This is why there is so much antagonism to the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Paul and his company, they were persecuted, they were thrown into jail, they were beaten, and yet they still stayed true to the Lord. Their eyes weren't on their circumstances, which were not good many times, nor on themselves, but their eyes were on the Lord. Remember this, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. They wouldn't be stopped. So the quality, the first quality of a true servant of God is they have a God-given boldness to speak, a God-given boldness to speak. We don't do it in a rude way now. This is, this is something we have to learn as Christians. It's easy when you're, especially when you're a new Christian, man alive, you know, 
you've just learned that all the world is wrong and, and, and now you've learned the truth that it's Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And you want to tell everybody about it. And so what do we do? We turn that message sometimes, even though we're well-meaning, we turn it into a big club and go around. We club everybody and you know, we, we, uh, we let all of our family know that you're, you're wrong. Or we may burst into a room with family and say, you know, every one of you in this room, I got an announcement to make. Every one of you in this room is going to hell. You're not going to win them that way, let me tell you. Now, it may be true, but you're not going to win them that way. God-given boldness, yes, but the Bible's very clear that we need to learn how to control ourselves and how to communicate the gospel in a proper way. More about that as we go through here. Verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in Guile. Okay, number two, they were uncompromising in their presentation of truth. It is clear and straightforward, coupled with pure motives. I am here representing the Lord Jesus Christ. I am here with his message, and I want to, in love, share it with you. What's in it for you? Nothing's in it for me. Nothing. I'm doing this because I care about you. I don't expect anything from you. There's no charge to you. I'm giving it to you because I care about you. Okay? It's clear and straightforward, pure motives. They do not try to candy coat the message and change it into something that is not true to the real character of the gospel. They're not focused on everyone liking them and accepting them. That's where compromise comes in. We want to be accepted. We want everybody to love us. And so what do we do? We candy coat the gospel. We'll say things like, and people are well-meaning, but they'll say things, oh, you know what? God loves you. True. And you know what? He just wants you to accept the gift of his love. And we think, I witnessed to that person. You didn't witness to that person. What does that mean? You want them to accept the gift of his love. They don't understand what you're talking about. Let's be clear. Let me say this. For you to effectively share the gospel, you've got to get a person to understand first they're lost. Because if they don't understand they're lost and they need a savior, why in the world would they trust in one? And there's only one. Get them to understand their loss. Get them to see their need, okay? Look up here. Let me, let me illustrate this. This makes it clear. And by the way, you'll hear this tonight on the tape. This hand representing you and me and let my wallet represent sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. See, our sin separates us from the Lord. You cannot get to heaven with your sin. Here's the truth of it. Don't exclude the first part of the gospel. The first part of the gospel is what makes the second part such good news. God says our sin has to be paid for, and if we do it, we're going to have to spend forever separated from God in hell. Now, think about this. We're already sinners. Heaven's a perfect place. To get there, we have to be sinless. None of us are. And all I have to look forward to at this point is an eternity separated from God in hell. You might say, well, I'll do good works. Nowhere in the Bible does it say good works pay for sin. The only payment for sin is death. 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 Okay? If I die, I'll be lost forever in hell, suffering. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God loves us. He understands there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. He himself left the splendors of heaven, as the hymn says. This hand representing God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, sinless, And when Jesus came to earth, he came for the express purpose of dying on the cross and paying for our sin. 
He went to the cross. He took your sin and my sin upon himself. He died in our place, paying for all of our sin, leaving us nothing left to pay for. He died, was buried, he came back from the dead, and he says, if you will put your trust in him, your faith in him, that he did that for you, the moment you do, he saves you, he gives you everlasting life. That's what makes the gospel good news. But you see, we need to be straightforward with this, folks. We need to explain it clearly to people. So they were uncompromising in their presentation of the truth. Verse four, but as we were allowed of God, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Okay, number three, and this is so important, they see the preaching of the gospel as a sacred trust. Oh, that more preachers would see the preaching of the gospel as a sacred trust. You know what comes to my mind when I think of that? If you see it as a sacred trust, you are gonna be careful on how you present it. You're going to take the time to present it clearly. You're going to be sure people, to the best of your ability, understand what you're saying. You're not going to cloak it in terminology that doesn't make sense. Things like, you know, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but let's be clear, folks. Don't say to somebody, and I know, you know, we have a, we have a concern for the lost, but you don't say to someone, will you ask Jesus into your heart? That has nothing to do with putting your trust in Christ. It has nothing to do with it. Will you give him your heart? Will you give him your life? I gave my life to Christ. Well, that's a, that's a matter of dedication, not salvation. Giving your life to Christ, that sounds like you're, you're pledging to serve him. That's works for salvation. That doesn't save anyone. Use the language of the Bible. You can't ever go wrong. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. We see it as a sacred trust. Very few people get this. You notice in verse 4, they would, they would not do anything to pollute it. We were allowed of God. Isn't that a marvelous thing? This one message that brings eternal life to sinners, God has entrusted it into the hand of sinners who are saved by the grace of God. And he says, I'm giving it to you here. Okay, if my Bible was the message of the gospel, God goes like this. This is the only way people can be saved. I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it in your hand. Folks, we need to go, wow, Lord, wow. Thank you for that. I won't mess it up. I'm gonna give it just like you gave. It's a sacred trust. That's what it is, folks. As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. He's testing us. He's testing us whether we will be true to him or not. See, true servants, they want to please the Lord with proclaiming it. They have a passion to see the lost trust in Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. And they are careful how they live in light of the message, because they don't want the way they live to turn people off to the message. See, even lost people know Christians should live a good life. Did you know that? Even lost people get that. What we need to get them to understand is, yes, Christians should live a good life, but that won't get us to heaven. It won't save us. They see the preaching of the gospel as a sacred trust, and so we're careful with it. Look with me to Galatians chapter 1. This man you're going to hear tonight, Dr. A. Ray Stanford, I got many things from him. You, you hear things from time to time. You'll hear things in church here, and boy, that's a great thing. Where'd pastor get that? 
Dr. Stanford. I learned it from him. Now listen, he, he messed up in his life, I know that, but you know what, as the best he could, he rebounded, and he went on and served the Lord till the day he died. Not in the same capacity, no, he was disqualified in that regard, but he still was faithful with the gospel till the day he died. And here's, I'll never forget it, he described the Apostle Paul this way. Here was his character portrait of Paul. He said, Paul was a tender-hearted compassionate soul winner who was unbending on theology. That's the way we're supposed to be. Tender-hearted, compassionate soul winners who are unbending on theology. Beautiful balance. Paul was that way. Galatians 1, 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. They would, they would turn the gospel into something of an opposite character. Now, if the gospel is the power of God into salvation, when you add something to it, you make it into a message that doesn't save. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade or seek the favor of men or of God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He understood. Who am I going to please with my life? Who do I seek to please? God or man? God or man? You know, if I, if I was to get up here and preach a lordship salvation message where I'm, where I'm saying it's by Jesus Christ and you living a good life, you know, lots of people would say, that's right, that's right, that's, what, that's right, that's what you should, so many people would agree. But if I get up here and I say, you know what, there's not one thing you can do as far as earning or deserving eternal life. You can't earn it, your good works have no part in it, and when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior, he gives you everlasting life. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. No matter what, no matter what you do, once you've trusted Christ, all your sins have been forgiven. All of them, past, present, and future. He's given you everlasting life. You go to heaven when you die. Man alive. Evangelicals now get all riled up about that. Oh, you're preaching cheap grace. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. There is no such thing. You're, 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 you're preaching greasy grace. Boy, that one makes me even want to throw up. No, friend. Only amazing grace. Only amazing grace. By the way, the hymn writer got it right. Why can't we? Now, what is the gospel? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us Paul said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is the full payment for our sin. And the good news is if you believe the gospel, you receive everlasting life. We won't cover them. Galatians 3, 11 and 26. Very important. You're not saved by law or good works, you're saved by grace through faith. Galatians 3.26 says, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, by faith, not by faith in works, by faith, by faith. 
Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 2 in verse 5. It says, For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. What's he saying there? We could have laid a burden on you because we're the apostles, we're the leaders of the church. We could have said, hey, pay us. We're the apostles after all. Paul said, no, we're not in this for money. By the way, compare that to a lot of your prosperity gospel preachers. You know that prosperity gospel is a message from hell itself, friends. It is. It feeds on people's sin nature, the covetousness that we have in us, the the desire to have stuff. The only ones who benefit from a prosperity gospel are the prosperity preachers themselves. There are a lot of people who support these preachers because they just don't know the truth. And so they support these preachers and these people give themselves into poverty because it's almost like buying lottery tickets, okay? I'll give more, I'll give more. There's a chance I'm gonna get. God's gonna give, if I, if I give, I'm gonna get, okay? I'm gonna, uh, I'm, if, I, if I give, I'm gonna get all this stuff from God. And so their motive is what they're getting, not what they're giving. It isn't their love for the Lord, it's what they can get out of it. Not good. Number four quality that we see in verses five and six is they serve the Lord with pure motives. They didn't serve for money. That's covetousness. That's greed. They didn't serve for personal glory. They didn't serve because of their rank or position. They served the Lord because they love the Lord because they love other people. It's just that simple. You love the Lord, you love others. That's why you serve the Lord. Verse seven, But we were gentle (laughs) among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Referring to a nursing mother is the idea there, okay? We were gentle among you. Man alive, did the Holy Spirit take me to the woodshed on this this week? Man, did I learn a lesson? Did I, he just stopped me dead in my tracks and he said, he said, now son, I want you to meditate on this one for a while. Because you know the truth of it is, folks, sometimes we're not very gentle with people, are we? Especially those who oppose. Maybe people who are obnoxious to us. Maybe people who are insulting to us. And you know that our knee-jerk reaction is to fight fire with what? Fire. Not biblical. I say, well, they deserve it. The Bible's very clear. You let God take care of that. Okay? They are gentle. Now, I think what he means by this is amplified in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want you to hold your place in Thessalonians. Turn there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're talking about believers who are serving the Lord, how we deal with other people as we try to reach people for Christ. That's the context of Thessalonians, and that's the context of 2 Timothy. Chapter 2 and verse 24 It says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. Be contentious is the idea. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Unto who? All. That not only means those who agree with us, that also means those who disagree with us. Apt or able to teach, patient. In meekness, look at that, in meekness. Humility instructing those that oppose. And by the way, you notice they oppose who? 
themselves. By holding on to air, you oppose yourself. If God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Gentle. You understand gentleness. Going back to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, what do you mean by gentle? Well, here you go. But we were gentle among you, even as a, the idea is that a nursing mother cherishes her children. Okay? I don't want to get too graphic on this, but if you've ever seen a mother nursing her newborn baby, the love, the care, the tenderness that is there. Paul says that gentleness between that mom and that baby is the same way we are supposed to deal with other people. On a scale to A versus all, all the way down to F, okay, well, let's keep moving. Um, one pastor said this, and I thought it was very insightful. And by the way, only a pastor could come up with this insight. He said this, In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Instead of losing the gentle gain, instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. That's a good quality. Lord, help me be more gentle. I don't know about you. Help me be more gentle. Does that mean, again, it doesn't mean spineless. And by the way, we also know it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because you were dear to us. This is not religious gobbledygook talk, okay? I can't even get it out. This was real. This is how they felt. They were willing to have imparted unto them their own soul. Why? Because they were so dear to them. That's how Paul and his team saw the Thessalonians, believers. Do we feel that way? Can we ask you a question? Do we feel that way about anyone? Anyone? that we would impart our own souls to those people if they needed that? We are so self-focused in our electronic, digitally created world today. We live life with earbuds in. We live in our own world. You go someplace and you'll go to a restaurant and here's here's people working there and, and they've got earbuds in and they're waiters. What's wrong with that picture? But oftentimes, you know what? We live life the same way, folks. We're not even thinking about anybody else. We've created our own world. When's the last time you shared a gospel track with a lost person? When's the last time you prayed for the salvation of another? When's the last time you volunteered, you heard about a need and you say, you know, I'm going to do that. Instead of saying, I'm too busy, doesn't fit into my schedule. What a mistake. 
Number six quality we see in verse eight is they are self-sacrificing. There are few Christians today who see their lives as they should. We need to be willing to sacrifice our time for the Lord, for others, for the church. It's not just talk, it's right. We get caught up in the idea that the time we have is our time. Where'd we get that? That the money we have belongs to us. Listen, nothing belongs to us. It's all God's according to the Bible. It isn't this is mine and I decide whether I want to give you some or not. It's this is God's and God, what would you have me to do with my time, with my resources, with my life? That's the portrait of a true servant. Back to Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. Did you catch that? Laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now, either Paul was a godly man or he was just an arrogant guy, but he was godly. This is real. Number seven quality is they are hard, hard working. They are hard working. The urgency of the message fueled their bodies. Let me say that again. The urgency of the message fueled their bodies. When's the last time the message, we responded to that with any urgency at all? No wonder they were so effective. Number eight, they're careful about their testimony. You see it in verse nine. They wouldn't be chargeable. Verse 10, how holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among you that believe. They were careful about their testimony. Folks, what they said, the saving gospel message that delivers people from hell to heaven, that delivers Believers from their sin and gives them godly character, freedom in Christ. The message that Paul and his team preached, they said, we want to be sure the way we live does not discredit the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Okay? The gospel, when we trust Christ, our eternity has changed forever. But you know what? The fact that God has saved us from the penalty of our sin, God wants us now to start being saved from the power of our sin. And when we trust Christ the Savior and then our lives start changing for the glory of God, that is a combination. Giving out that message that Jesus saves and then living a life that shows that Jesus saves, that is the way the Christian life is to be lived. And that's for all of us, not just for preachers, by the way. That's for all of us. So they're careful about their testimony, their lifestyle. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Number nine quality we see in verse 11 is they are encouragers. They are encouragers. Are you an encourager? Folks, the battle is raging, and you know what the battle does? If we're in a battle, it produces some casualties. People who get hurt, people who get discouraged, people who get depressed and down. Some people, 
They really are. They're down in the mouth. Okay? It's like that dog that bit that duck on the tail. He got down in the mouth. (laughs) We need to be there for each other as we get shot at, spiritually injured, get discouraged. It happens. We need to be there for one another. By the way, that is one of the beauties of local church. Okay? We come, we receive, we get equipped, we go out, we serve the Lord. We're out there, and if we're really serving the Lord, we're getting shot at, we're getting, we're getting mocked, we're getting this and all that and all that, and, and guess what? Then whew, Wednesday comes, the oasis in the middle of the week. We can come and we can, we can get encouraged by the energy of one another and, and encourage and have a focus, okay? Don't, don't come to church saying, will somebody encourage me? Come to church saying, I'm going to find somebody I can encourage. I'm going to make a difference in their life tonight or today. That's the way we should. And guess what? If everybody thinks that way. Now, by the way, number one, you got to be here. If everyone no thinks that way, then every need will be met. No wonder they call it the family of God. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God. Wow, what a short statement that is so full of truth. That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Number 10 quality, they challenge the other saints to be servants as well. They challenge other saints to be servants of well. We see that in verse 12. By the way, I think in there, in that idea of challenging them is the issue of accountability. We need to be accountable to each other, staying on track. One more verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want you to turn there and look at this one. Let me say this today as we go through this. Now, I told you I had my time with the Holy Spirit this week. He said, son, you need to be a little bit more gentle. I want you to learn to be gentle. And I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you to help me. Now, I just had a terrible thought. Is he going to do it by bringing a bunch of mean, nasty, negative people into my life? (laughs) Eh, He might. And by the way, if you have not learned this yet, God has a sense of humor. He does. And by the way, it's in the Bible. Okay? You might say, where's it in the Bible? What about when, uh, when the, uh, the, uh, the donkey spoke to the prophet? That's humor, if I've ever seen it. That's humor. Anyways, there's a lot of places. We won't, we won't go there. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. See, true servants can only be formed if we are submitted to the Lord in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us what we need to be. But let me say this, Christian, if you're a believer, if you are not growing as a believer, don't blame God for it. It's your fault. If I'm not growing, it's my fault. The truth of it is, is if I'm not growing, I don't want to grow. I'm just floating through life. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own thinking. And it's contrary. I'm out of the loop. Okay? Now, let me say this as we close. You may be visiting today. Maybe you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The message is clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he is not 
believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, please put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior today. He'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.